Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the 26th episode of Why Are People Into That? The podcast that rips your bodice. I'm your host, Tina Horn, and my guest today is erotic superstar Rachel Kramer Bustle. Rachel is a world-class journalist and the prolific editor of more than 50 anthologies of erotic fiction. Are you looking for a great place to find quality erotica? Smitten Kitten is the exclusive sponsor of this podcast, and among their quality merchandise, they have an excellent selection of sexy books with themes that often get left out of mainstream porn, like queer bondage and the sex lives of folks over 60. Smitten Kitten is offering a special discount to wire people into that, listeners. Visit smittenkittenonline.com and enter the word why, that's W-H-Y, during checkout to get 20% off your order. Real quick, before we get to my conversation with Rachel, I just want to remind you that my first book, Love Not Given Lightly, is out. It's slim and it fits in your back pocket even if you've got a bubble butt. Tell your local indie bookstores you want it. If you're a blogger, tweet at me and I'll get you a copy. It's a non-fiction book about sex work that Carol Queen called smart and insightful and hot and unexpected and so compassionate. Lindsay G. wrote a really nice review on her blog, including the following. It's not all glitter and orgasms. There's pain and vice in there, too that the sparkles and the pleasure might just make it all worthwhile. Alright, so, enough about sexy nonfiction. Let's talk about sexy fiction. Grab a giant science textbook and hide your dog-eared, cum-stained paperback behind it for why are people into erotica? guest today is Rachel Kramer Bustle. It's Bustle, right? Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. I used to say Bussell before I knew you. And this I don't making mind. You, fancier. I'm like, you know what? It's very simple, but people people <laughs> like to add an extra L on the end. I've had editors <laughs> I've worked with for a long time just suddenly add an L and I'm like, okay, at least there's no other, there's no Rachel Kramer Bussell with like five L's. <laughs> L, L like, like makes it more feminine. <laughs> 
Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's being an erotica writer, and like people want to make your name sound French. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thanks so much for um, coming over and being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit um, about your new book, Sex and Cupcakes. Um, you are probably most well known for being an editor of erotica. And a writer of erotica. You've edited, what is it, over uh, over 40? 50. God. It's coming up to almost 60. I've been doing it for, like, a decade, so. Yeah, so of uh, erotica, erotica anthologies, yeah. um, which is actually how we met. I think we were doing a reading at um, uh, in San Francisco together, like, at Litquake or something. Yes. Like, a million years ago. Yes. My... my I've done so many readings that, yeah. like, all, I'll be like, oh, yeah, but I don't remember which one was which one. Yeah, well, we met, and then you immediately asked me to contribute to one of your anthologies, and I... That I, sounds very... That sounds... I don't remember the exact sequence, but that sounds very me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did, and you accepted it, and that was actually the first book I was ever published in, or uh, was that orgasmic. orgasmic? Yeah, so uh, I'm very... Thanks for giving me that big break. Of course. Well, I am hoping to do another one on that topic. Yeah, it was I, all, like, female yeah. orgasms, I right? love... I love, like... I mean, I love all kinds of writing, but I love when I meet someone and I'm like, I bet you have an awesome erotica story or a true story or whatever it is I'm working on, because I, I don't know. I just... To me, that's, like, what makes life interesting, that everyone has a different approach to sex. I love that. It's true. And uh, your anthologies are so varied in their theme. There's a lot of diversity there. And I love that about about them all with different publishing houses and all kinds of stuff. And sometimes you contribute and sometimes you don't. But um, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been in, I think, three that you have that you have edited. I think so. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, giving lots and lots of fledgling smut writers or established smut writers um a venue so um that's well, a, a public I think service that sometimes writers don't realize that editors need new writers like it's yeah. good for their books it's good for just the genre to have new voices so that that's my opinion and i i actually reserve space now and all my books for people i've never worked with before awesome yeah, it must be hundreds of authors that you've worked with at this point. It's a lot. But yeah. you know what? There's, there's especially now, so many new people coming to the genre. And mm. either whether it's because they read something and think I could do better than that, or I have something that might be like this. And it's so interesting to me because I teach in-person and online classes on erotica. Mm. And some of the people have always wanted to write erotica or always had this idea in their head. But some of them either see that it's happening or just are inspired to say, oh, I, I want to try that. I'm curious. And those are the people that fascinate me because they don't have a preconceived idea of, I want to write about spanking. They don't necessarily know that they want to write erotica. They just think, I'm going to try this. And I yeah. think that's really brave. That's so cool. I think it's brave, too. What is, what's one, can you give us a tease of one tip that you give to fledgling erotica writers? Uh, yes, I, well, I do a series of exercises and actually one of, only one I think so far has made it into one of my books, but I have them write erotica, uh, about a chair. Nice. And I love this one because I am looking, well, I'm sitting on a couch, but I'm looking <laughs> at a chair and I, and I, 
And I think that it's something you don't usually think about, like a chair, right. okay, we sit in chairs every day, or we sit in a, you know, it could be like a seat of a car. Usually I go with a more traditional chair, but, uh-huh. you know, when you, then when you break it down, though, there's so many kinds of chairs that you could be sitting. It could be a bar stool, it could be like a specific mm. sex chair, it could be, you know, whatever it is. Um, it could be like a makeshift chair. But, like, how can that be made into something sexual? It, and sometimes people do workplace settings, so yeah. they're at work, and but they're supposed to be doing something, and they're doing something else, or, you know, and, and I love it, because it, it just never gets old. People always have something, a nuance to it. Yeah. It makes me think of 90s boy band dance music videos, where they would always be, like, sitting in backwards oh. in chairs you know so that i don't it even that, that reveals something about my yes. sexuality i guess and it's also like <laughs> what are you wearing in the chair i mean are you wearing nothing you like why are you having sex chair. in a chair instead of a bed and also it's like yeah. what what are you, i mean it doesn't necessarily mean having sex with another person in the chair i mean maybe you're tied to a chair maybe you're just sitting in the chair watching someone else right, right. or maybe you're rubbing yourself against the chair or whatever. Mm. I mean, mm. there's just so many things. And that I think I mm. love getting people to think about sexualizing something that they don't necessarily, th- wouldn't necessarily think about doing. It's a great exercise. So that is one of my favorite that ones. That is homework for all of our listeners. Right? Stories about chairs and tweets. And then you can, like, look online, Rachel like, sexy me. chair. I mean, when you Google sexy chair, you get some disturbing some problematic sure. chairs. Um, but you also get just just visual, other visuals that, you know, might be I can useful. think of some, some sexy, disturbing chairs I've known, yeah. Um, I mean, and then there's, <laughs> I like, I have fond the memories fun, of all of those chairs. That, do you know those, like, giant uh, high-heeled chairs? The ones yes. that are, those are so, I'm, I'm just fascinated by those. I don't even know if I want to have sex in it, but, like, I would love to just, like, luxuriate in one of those chairs. Or even, like, one of, I don't know, a pedicure, like, chair seat, maybe? I don't know. Oh, I just, yeah. I just, that's, like, the f- first time I've thought of that one. But I could see maybe someone's, you know, maybe you're, like, getting a pedicure and someone's doing something to you at the same time, but you can't move because you're, you're, like, in a sexy spot. Oh, see, yes. this is how my mind works, and I'm just off and, like... Sexy I've had very. I've wanted to marry some of those massage chairs in the airports. You know, when yes. you're feeling really tired, and yes. all of a sudden you're like, "I'm never, I'm never leaving this chair." But I also think, <laughs> you know, an object, a piece of furniture. I mean, whether it's a chair or some other piece of furniture. I mean, if it's your own, if it's or if it's one that you use a lot, you develop what could be an intimate relationship with mm-hmm. that item, or maybe it's someone else's chair that you like lust after that person but they're connected to that chair or whatever so right right i think or the chair's made of leather yeah i mean i and i think the same can be said for other um inanimate objects but i mean it's like you know is a chair ever just a chair i mean i mean (laughs) it's what you imbue it with you know i love that and i think that could be said for any topic in you know erotica it's like how you conceive of it what you how you twist it in your mind yeah you can make anything erotic and that's yeah. kind of the premise of when I teach and also my writing because um 
like a lot of my early erotica stories were based on either fantasies that I had or things that I did. Like the one about Monica Lewinsky. Yes, Monica Lewinsky. And I always say, like, I think that one worked because I really was interested in her, so I yeah. had researched her. And I, I, I'm not saying you have to write about things that you are part of your personal life, but I think that if you can find a way to incorporate those, you can bring it to life in a way that someone who doesn't know anything about that Monica Lewinsky, let's say, can do. But then at a certain point, I was like, I have no more stories I can eroticize. I'm going to have to diversify. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, um, God, Monica Lewinsky has come up at least one other time in this podcast, which uh, says something about society, I'm sure. She is back uh, in the news. Yeah, yeah, with Vanity Fair and everything. I mean, it's interesting because... I didn't realize she's, I think she's 40 now, and I'm 39, so we're very close in age. And so that's almost half her life that this scandal... been defined by it, yeah. Well, that's that's another podcast. Yes, yes. But uh, let's talk about Sex and Cupcakes. So Sex and Cupcakes is a a collection of essays, definitely some... Uh, sexy stuff, as is in the title, um, but it's it's not erotica, uh, it's nonfiction, um, and uh, it's sometimes political, um, sometimes social, sometimes personal, sometimes about technology, um, uh, and uh, sometimes about what it means for you to be a sex columnist and also a cupcake columnist. Um, So tell, tell me a little bit. I mean, the, the title essay is so interesting and I would recommend it to, I mean, I'd recommend the book to anyone, but um, I, I really loved learning more about you by reading the sex and cupcakes personal essay. And um, I would just love it if you would talk a little bit about, um, uh, the sort of the parallel that you draw between these two things that you've written about and what, are, how are they similar and how are they different, sex and cupcakes? And it's interesting, uh, 10 years ago, exactly, I mean, not to the day, but <laughs> December 20, 2004, uh, I started a blog about cupcakes, Cupcakes Take the Cake, that is still going on, um, and I still post on it. And 2004 is also when I started writing column for the Village Voice, and mm. I got a job at Penthouse Variations. So my life was kind of becoming a lot about sex writing and a lot about cupcakes. And uh, the essay and sort of my point with the title is that those are not the entire two sides of my life, but sure. to some degree they're about these dual or seemingly dual sides of like, writing about sex, which has, I mean, I think, I would like to think I've always been fairly open-minded about sex, but writing about it in such detail for such a long time has opened my mind a lot more to the variety of sexual experiences that are out there, and I would say that's been 98% positive, (laughs) and I think that, though, the Sex and Cupcakes essay kind of alludes to the 2%, or, you know, whatever, that that is a little bit less positive because I think that if you do anything professionally associated with sex and whether it's, you know, participating in sex for work or for pleasure or, like, being outspoken about I host orgies or whatever it is. Sure. Or you write about sex or you're, especially if you're female-identified, I think that 
you get tagged with this label that for a lot of people isn't automatically a negative label. Right. I, mean, I wouldn't say it's a negative label, but sure. Um, oh, you're talking about stigma. But I think that there's this and idea that if you somehow associate yourself with sex in a public way, then you want to have sex with like everyone you meet, want to talk about sex with everyone you meet, that you that that your boundaries, that your personal boundaries are non-existent somehow. Mm, mm. Um, and also I think there's this sort of this idea that, oh, well, sex sells, so that's easy. So you're sort of taking this easy way out of not really tackling harder issues. And mm. I mean, to me, writing about sex and exploring like all the areas that sex touches, that touches every area of our lives. So I think this yeah. idea that sex is like in the corner over here and is only about this one thing, when really it's about everything. I mean, it's about having sex, but it's also about gender, it's about feminism, it's about, you know, career, like, it's about so many family, like, it's just about all these different topics. So, sometimes <laughs> that is kind of overwhelming, that, I guess, that stigma, or just that, I don't always want to talk about sex, like, 24-7 with everyone I meet, and so yeah. the world of cupcakes and getting really involved with it in terms of like being able to tell you where to get a cupcake in any state. I mean, I haven't had them in every state, but I, I, I've researched cupcakes in every state, including yeah. like Alaska. Um, it's been really cool to meet people who have devoted themselves to it all over the place. And I went to Dubai on vacation and I met these women who had started a cupcake shop. And wow. I mean, I just never would have met them otherwise and yeah. and i and i think that something else that's been really cool um about that world is that it is largely female run and a lot of these that's true bakeries are run by women who haven't necessarily run their own business before and i think that's a really fascinating and a little bit under reported aspect of cupcakes i think people are like oh cupcakes girly but it it's also a business yeah you know and i think that you have to be really tough to work anywhere in the food industry. I mean, it's it's like a product that, you know, is by its nature is, you know, you have to bake every day and you're yeah. dealing with something that, you know, with the weather's bad and no one comes in and then you have to get rid of that. You know, it's just, there's just so many different variables and it's like, I don't think I could... People have sometimes said, oh, could you run a bakery? I'm like, uh, I don't want to try to run a bakery because it seems so hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, like just so many different challenges but yeah. um but I've learned so much from both in terms of like cupcakes as an industry and just people who are passionate about them I mean people get really excited about them it's not like I mean they have very specific tastes of you know I like this kind of cupcake in this kind of way or I like them decorated like this or I'm gonna try savory cupcakes mm. or gluten-free you know I only make gluten-free or raw I mean I I don't I don't eat, um, I'm not like a raw food person, but there's this amazing raw food blog called Raw Adorable, and I have like just geeked out on it because this woman can basically take other kinds of food items and make them into raw food versions, and it's fascinating. I love raw desserts, actually, and vegan desserts, but that's that's just me. Check out Raw Adorable. Cool. Um, well... So later, in a, in a second, we're going to talk about uh, 
wire people into erotica. Um, uh, but while we're still um, uh, focusing on your current book, which is which it's it's out right now yes, um, as an ebook, uh, as an ebook and from soon as from an thought, audiobook. from thought catalog, thought catalog book. Cool. Yes, it's available cool. on Kindle and on iBooks. Uh, and are you gonna read the audiobook? I am not gonna read the audiobook. I don't. I'm. I'm not sure yet who is, but uh, it will be available on Audible soon, which is a little bit of a weird thing because they are my words. Yeah, but, um, and it's like in the first person. Uh, and so I haven't really had that experience before of having something so personal be mm. read by someone else. Uh, but I'm cu- I'm curious to as to what people will take away, like especially from the audiobook, because yes. some of the essays were hard for me to write, and I actually was, like, working on it right till the very end of, should I put this in? Should I put this somewhere else? Because it feels sort of final, like, I, only, I, I, well, I had a lot of freedom in terms of how many essays I could put in, or yeah. how much, how many words, but, you know, I wanted it to represent me, but it, there's no, there's so many things I could have written about, so it kind of skews more towards the last couple years of my life and my current relationship. And, um, and some of it is about, you know, other topics and mm. older, there's a few older pieces from places that I'd written before. I thought uh, it was very well balanced. But, so, and that was kind of what I was trying to do. And, and there's something, I think sometimes, again, with this sort of suggestion that it's just easy to write about sex, I think people think, oh, well, you know, you ju- it's, it's, you're just, you know, talking about your own experiences, which, yes, in a book of personal essays, I am talking about my own experiences, yes. but I, I don't, I'm, I'm not just like, oh, let me blab about everything that's happened to me in my life, even though that's a lot of the work that I do um, as a writer is first-person pieces, but I always try to think about, like, will this be interesting to other people, and is it about something, even if my words are about my life, is it also about something beyond just my life and and I think that I mean I can if I'm writing about my experiences I can only write about what those experiences have been but I think that they can touch on other people's experiences as well yeah I mean that's the idea of a personal essay is you take something from your life and use it to illuminate something more universal about the human experience and I and I the other thing I really I mean, I have opinions, yes, but something I try to do in my work is sort of not have the final answer. I mean, first of all, I'm still living my life, so I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'm thinking of the last essay, I think it's the last essay, Monogamishmash, um, which is about um, my experience sort of negotiating, like, should I be polyamorous in my relationship, should I not be? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to say... First of all, I'm not trying to say what anyone else should do. I'm sure. not even sure what I should do. And that was kind of the crux of the essay of sort of balancing and thinking about, like, how do I um, negotiate this complicated topic and what do I want and what does my partner want and what might it look like? Um, and I think that to me, like, asking questions like that, that's always kind of what I aim to do of myself and and on some level of readers like I hope that people will read that and um I mean they don't have to think about it but I I think that then a lot of people will think okay like where do I fall on that Mm -hmm. spectrum Mm -hmm. um and so and so I think that like yes there's a level of exhibitionism to 
writing first person pieces, but I'm always interested. I'm so nosy. I'm always interested in what other people are thinking too. Like I love getting feedback about like what that prompted for someone else. And I think that sometimes people miss that, that I don't, I don't think most people writing first person pieces think of it as like this last word. Let me just regurgitate this out into the world. Like it's a dialogue. I mean, but this is one half of it. Yeah. This is one part of it. Um, and then, people's responses is, is another part of it. So why are people into cupcakes? I think people are into cupcakes. Not necessarily sexually, yes, although. No, no. Um, because I think people are kind of, you can be selfish with a cupcake. You don't, mm, you know. I love that. You And I think that, like, there's nothing wrong with being selfish sometimes. I think, like, we're sort of so, like, oh, we want to share. I mean, I love sharing, but, like, if I have, a, like, one cupcake, I'm probably going to eat that cupcake, you know. And I, I usually, if I am going somewhere, I will be bringing cupcakes, so I will be sharing them in that sense. But, like, I don't think that you should have to share your, like, one little cupcake. Like, the point is that it's an indulgence. It's this special thing. And if I'm with someone at a bakery, like, we're each going to get the one that we really like. Like, you mm. can pick what you want. And it's this sort of specialized treat. And I don't think for most people, a cupcake is something you eat every day. Like, and if I ate them every day, I would get sick of them. One time, long story short, I was bringing cupcakes to a concert, and there were lots of hours that passed and lots of walking around, and I ate, like, a ton. Like, I ate a lot of cupcake over the course of a night, because I was picking at them, and then, and I felt really sick by the end of the night. Sure. Like, I ate too many cupcakes. So, I think so there is there's lessons in moderation to be learned from cupcakes. And I think sometimes you see places with huge cupcakes and people are like, that's too big. Like, you want it to be this yeah. small indulgence. Yeah, I remember. But it's special. Is, like, it, you it, know, not just, like, here's just whatever flavor. Like, I, I always get confused when people are like, oh, you can bring me any flavor. I'm like, what does that mean? Be more specific. Which one do you want? I remember going with you. I think it was before um, the In the Flesh series at Happy Endings to some Lower East Side bakery. Sunshine. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, and uh, I was early, and I went along with you, and your process of picking out (laughs) the variety of cupcakes was uh, so (laughs) meticulous. You want you were sure you wanted it to be, and they they were you know you were gonna share them. They they weren't. It wasn't like you were picking them out all for you. You were like, well, we need to get this kind, need to get well, this much. In that sense, it is kind of like sex. Like people have really <laughs> specific preferences on certain things, and True. they like what they like, and that's like. And it's also, I mean, I'm not gonna try to convince someone. Oh, you should like this chocolate peanut butter cupcake because I like it. I mean, I don't care if you like it or not. Like, and I, I think sometimes people think that about both cupcakes and, like, sexual practice. Like, oh, I'm into spanking, so I want you to be in spanking. Like, I don't really care because I don't, I don't know fuck. you. Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool if you are, but I don't have any vested interest. Even Or even cupcakes. People are like, oh, I don't like cupcakes. Is that okay? I'm like, it's fine. I'm not going to not be friends with you. I'm not, like, judging you based on your dessert preferences. That is hilarious. I think, though, there is this idea... In both, I mean, joking kind of about cupcakes, but I, I do think that sometimes people think, oh, well, like, if I don't think like you about sex or I don't, mm. you know, that, that you know, we have to agree on everything. I mean, I don't think I have to agree on everything with everyone I know. I think that's what makes the world interesting. Here, here. I mean, I think as long as you're 
open-minded enough to have a conversation, an adult conversation with someone about sex or whatever, I mean, you can learn something. But I think that if you can't be open to at least entertaining someone whose thoughts are different from you, then you're not ever going to expand your mind. Such a great ethos, and it's obvious from your long and storied career that that influences you uh, creatively and uh, and otherwise. I mean, I'm sure we might talk about this, but like that's to me why I enjoy, I think, like editing anthologies is sort of the opposite of writing first-person pieces, because, mm-hmm. I mean, in a first-person piece, I'm giving my opinion or my experience. If I'm editing a book, it's not really about my, I mean, some to some degree, it's about my taste, but I'm interested in people who are going to write things that would never even occur to me to write. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, my mind would never go in that direction, but yours would, and I'm fascinated by that. That's part of the joy of, of reading it, I think, as well, or even of watching porn, is seeing, like, oh, that's that person's instinct in that moment. And mm. I think that we sometimes reduce people's viewing and reading in this very simplistic way of, oh, you're reading this kinky book, therefore you're kinky. I mean, maybe you are. Maybe you're just, like, reading this kinky book. Yeah. Like, you're living vicariously through it, or you're enjoying the story. Like, just because it's about sex doesn't mean that, you know, we all want to do those things. I mean, people watch, I don't know, Law and Order or CSI or whatever. I mean, they they watch things that are not about things that they want to do. Yeah, of course. In other realms, and we're okay with that. But with sex, people Mm -hmm. think, like, oh, I don't want to be... People know that I'm reading or watching this because it will mean X, Y, Z. And it's yeah, like, it only means that if it, it means it in your in your head. Yeah. Well, so why are people into erotica, do you think? I think people are into erotica because it does give them this chance to live vicariously through other people. And I think that you can read fiction... I, I read fiction in a way that's different than I read nonfiction. You know, I think mm-hmm. that you can let your mind go in a little, in a way with fiction, and I'm including erotica in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be seduced by the story of it, mm-hmm. and once you're once the author has you seduced in that way, you know, you might surprise yourself of in what turns you on within an erotic story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I've had that experience as a writer too, where I'm writing something that is not something I would consciously say I'm into, or even like, you know, maybe it's something I'm a little bit uncomfortable about, but writing erotica about it taps into something mm-hmm. powerful. Um, and I, and I think that there's this fantasy element to it of like, okay, I'm, wh- whether or whether or not you're, like, going to do that in real life, you can experience it via erotica. You know, you can go to a sex party, you can go to a nude hotel, you can go to a dominatrix, you can, yeah. you know, you can have all these things happen that, um, you know, are realistic within the context of a story, mm-hmm. um, and, and you can enjoy it, like, you can enjoy it as a fantasy. I don't yeah. think we have enough space in our culture to enjoy things as fantasy. I think that we tend to take things really literally. So if someone says to you, like, my fantasy is to do this, people hear, I want to do this right now. Mm. And maybe they maybe they do want to do that now or in the future, but maybe they just want to talk about it as a fantasy. And I think erotica gives readers space to indulge in just the fantasy element, like to 
to enjoy it in their mind, you know? And I don't think, I think that even within relationships, sometimes talking about fantasies can get complicated because the other person might not know where that line of like thinking about it and wanting to try it is. And I think for a lot, some people do read erotica with a partner, but if you're reading erotica or, uh, on your own, you are taking that space and you're, you know, you can enjoy it however you want. You know, you can identify maybe with the character who seems like you, but maybe with the character who's nothing like you, you know, and you don't, you don't know how that's going to go. Do you have a favorite erotic story or book? Uh, that's a really hard question. Um, there's a trilogy that I really love called Secret by Elle Marie Adeline. Cool. And uh, it's about, and it's one I recommend all the time. And I, what I really like about it, it is that it's both semi-realistic in the sense of these women are not, they, they seem like real women. Mm-hmm. The, the plot of what happens, which is about this private group called Secret that helps women fulfill their sexual fantasies. Nice. I mean, that probably wouldn't happen in real life, but there's enough realism. Know. Like, there's these... The, it's set in New Orleans, and it's set at very specific, like, locations, including some that are real locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think it does really well is it it makes you sympathize with these women of... Like, the women who are selected to have their fantasies fulfilled are going through dark periods in their life and mm. those aspects are realistic and also the fantasies even the more outrageous ones they're done in this incredibly both sexy way and almost realistic way you're like uh this woman just had sex with the pilot of the plane while it's flying and then like every time i find a plane i'm thinking about that <laughs> so I'm like wow and like and it's just i don't know like the way it's done is uh really fascinating to me so that is a series that I highly recommend and there's a novel that I'm like just constantly giving to people it's called I think it's called a concise Chinese English dictionary for lovers but I think I always want to call it the concise Chinese English dictionary for lovers and I don't know how to say the author's name but it's spelled x-i-a-o-l-u and the last name is g-u-o and it's about this woman who comes to London from China and doesn't speak English very well. So that's the dictionary aspect. She's learning a new word every week. Mm. The sex scenes in there are amazing because she's learning about both language and culture and sexuality. And mm. so she doesn't have a lot of these preconceived notions of like what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And there's a scene where she goes to a peep show and she's having this moment with the woman who's working in the peep show and it's really beautiful cool. and um just the use of language in that book i find really fascinating because she's learning the language for all these sexual acts and body parts um so those two i really like but i i'm just always like looking to read erotica that surprises me that's the thing i like the most probably especially now that i've read so much of it i like erotica that is just about something I never would have thought of. And I, I love that you're not burned out on enjoying reading erotica despite doing it for a living. I I mean, I, in my general reading, I read a lot of mysteries. I mean, I don't, like, read erotica every minute of the yeah. day, but <laughs> I do lo- still love reading it because I think people 
have so much creativity yeah. around what they come up with. And there's just one another favorite story of mine is actually inorgasmic. Uh, it's called Chemistry by Velvet Moore. And I think I love that one because I almost failed chemistry in high school. Oh, I remember she read woman. it at, uh, at In the Flesh. Uh, or did I read it? I or maybe it. you read it. I think I might have read it. I mean, I, that's I, re- I, I remember it from that event. That's when I often bring up at um, writing workshops because it, it captures the senses, especially the sense of smell, really well. And it's just about this this very unique voice and this unique fetish that I think most people wouldn't think of. Oh, I'm hot for chemistry. You know? <laughs> um, I, I don't even know enough about chemistry to ever even conceptualize that. But I and I think that's one where like you don't have to know anything about chemistry to appreciate that that is this character's turn on, right? And that to me is what makes something a good piece of erotica. Like it doesn't have to be about something you know about personally. And if and I think for writers, like you don't have to have experienced the thing or or know about it um, through your own life to do it justice on the page. I think mm-hmm. some topics you would want to research um but you know it's not and i think sometimes people think oh i'm gonna write a story about spanking okay great but like you're really writing a story about a person who's into spanking and what is their turn on like which what part of it why how i mean it's not about spanking it's about the specifics of the dynamic that's happening that's very there very smart rachel Um, thank you uh well it just reminds me of I mean, it's true of any kind of writing advice that you want to focus on the characters, not the plot, right? And I think that's also why. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I, erotica writing and reading can still be so interesting to me. I mean, I always say if I get burned out... Like, if I can't think of anything else to write, I'll stop writing erotica. But that hasn't happened yet. And I think (laughs) it's because there's just always something new, a new twist on it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm inventing, reinventing the wheel in terms of, like, the sex that people are having or even the kinds of characters. But it's just coming at it in a different, slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Or thinking about, okay, what haven't I tried before? How can I vary this or how can I give it a new spin that stays interesting for me too because that can be challenging so what do you think about the prevailing notion that men like visual porn and women like erotica I mean I think yes there's plenty of men who like watching porn but I think and women who like reading and Uh, you know, some of the numbers I've seen around books, I don't know if this is for erotica or books in general, but it's like 80% of, I think it's books in general are bought by women. Mm. I mean, I think that there's some truth to, to that, but I think that it's a huge stereotype. And I agree. um, I mean, I see plenty of men taking my writing workshops and I think, you know, we, we do an injustice to men by saying, oh, well, 
you know, we're not going to take you as seriously as writers of erotica. I, I think there's this general notion, and I see it in a lot of mainstream sex advice and just sort Definitely. of in the general culture that men are simplistic in their sexuality, that there's, right. they're, they're more simplistic than women and that, you know, it's just like give them enough sex and like, you know, for, for straight men that, that it's this simple process that their minds are not as complex when it comes to their sexual fantasies. And I think that's, I think that's really rich territory. If you are a male erotica writer to explore, like what, what, are you all about when it comes to sex and so I think that that stereotype does an injustice to pretty much everyone in it you know because I think you know that's I think that we're you we each have the capacity to be interested in visual or um literary erotica and you know and and I don't think there's no like one right answer to that like and actually I mostly read I don't watch a lot of porn but you know, I'm interested in it as a genre, you know, but sometimes I felt like, oh, I should like porn more because a lot of other people do. And, you know, I, I should force myself to watch more of it. And then I'm like, and then I was like, well, no, I don't have to like, or I can like the part, the aspects of it. I like, like, I like more of the stories, like sort of, you know, where they're like the plot that most people fast forward, maybe fast forward through. I like that. I love the plot so, so much. And sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm know. not supposed like, you know, like that's the throwaway part or whatever. I'm like, okay, it's okay to like that. And like, it's okay to like whatever you like. And yeah. I think now, I mean, I, I don't know as much about you know, visual porn, but erotica, all these subgenres are popping up and mm-hmm. like, you know, monster erotica, dinosaur erotica, like dinosaur erotica, gay dinosaur erotica. I mean, like Wait, so many, are there like cave people or are there the, the dinosaurs? Are I mean, a lot of it is this, uh, you know, kinky, like taken by the T-Rex. That's an actual <laughs> title. It's this BDSM element. And the, I think the first wave of it was mostly like women being taken by, all these beasts and things but now there's you know wow i gay male dinosaur or like i think maybe the dinosaurs are gay i mean i don't know all the details of that particular subset but the point is whatever you're into in terms of (laughs) reading about like there's probably something out there for you and if there's not like you can put that out there because i think sometimes people feel like oh well it's all about this and Maybe it is. Like, maybe the preponderance is about one particular, not one particular aspect, but maybe, like, 90% of erotica you're seeing is about something that you're not into. Well, you, especially now, can jump into that, and whether through self-publishing or putting stuff online and, like, seeing, okay, who's into this other thing that, you know, might seem small now, but might have an ardent readership. Um, <laughs> I'm just not going to be able to stop thinking about Taken by T-Rex for, um, maybe the rest of my life, but definitely the rest of this podcast. Um, uh, well, one, one thing that kind of occurs to me in talking about this stereotype is that there's kind of two different, uh, presumed dichotomies between, uh, written erotica and visual porn. Uh, one is that 
men are just more visually motivated and women are more interested in stories, which, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, just like any stereotype, being reductionist is going to do more harm than good, honestly. Um, uh, but I think there's also an idea that porn tends to be um, more uh, like extreme or nasty or hardcore, whereas erotica tends to be maybe because of this gender stereotype. Erotica, because there's a story, tends to be more about emotion, tends to be more about romance, tends to be more about um, all of these other things that are uh, presumed to be of more interest to women, but of course the opposite is. I mean, true. I agree with you that I think when I think for some people, first of all, there's this rush to make this really big distinction between porn and erotica. Obviously, like my books are categorized as erotica. I mean, that's what I generally call myself. But I'm not going to be mad if someone's like, "You write porn." I mean, if they if they're trying to use that as some sort of slur, like okay. But yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm just. I don't, but I, I mean, if, if we're, if both of those things are designed to arouse people, yeah. okay. Yeah, like, by I just, that definition, I just think exactly. when you're, when, if you're looking at pretty much any of my books, there's no way to really say, okay, this is erotica and that's porn. I mean, what yeah. is that line? And I, and I think that you, I think that maybe a lot of women are drawn to it because you can be that nasty, but with words, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's just a different way of, of exploring those things and 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 it doesn't always have to be about romance i mean maybe it is like maybe there is an emotional component whether that's love or something else but i don't think it has to be i think like to work as a story for me i do want to feel the connection of the characters but i mean that doesn't have to mean that it's this emotional connection i just i want to know you know in the chemistry story by velvet more you know what about that person why are they into chemistry what about it turns them on and then how is that turn on getting played out but you know it, that could happen with a stranger that could happen with i mean in this case it's someone they lust after but yeah. and and i and i think that i think all those stereotypes just break down if you read more than a few pieces of erotica yeah. you know you, i mean there's some pretty graphic, rough, whatever, nasty thing, you know, whatever thing you want to call it. And there's people who want that. And there's people who want much later things. I mean, I had someone say to me, you know, my wife wants to read erotica, but your books have like certain dirty words that (laughs) she doesn't like. And, you know, I I didn't really know what to say because I I, I want her to find the erotica that she wants to read that suits her needs like I think that you don't have to like if if the words a lot of the words that are in my books which I'm I can say whatever right yes please okay so I think that I think that she meant like cunt pussy cock I think and you know I can't dictate what people put in their stories and also there's just not that many words that don't sound kind of ridiculous well, I yeah, think, in I my mean, opinion. also, it's a, it's, I mean, it's but, a style choice yeah. for you as an yeah. editor to, uh, if whatever, whatever words yeah. people are choosing to yeah. use, you, you're, I mean, you're times, comfortable yeah. with editing a, a book that has people referring to vaginas as cunts. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it, anyway, I mean, I think that there are, 
are times when, you know, it might get repetitive or, you know, when, you know, over the course of if everyone's using the same words every story, you might want some variety. But I mean, my point was, like, not to put that person down. I think that person should find the sexy stories that work for them with the kind of language that they want to see. And I don't think every character or every writer is going to use the same words that I might use. And Mm -hmm. that's that's okay. And one of the reasons I love that um, concise Chinese dictionary for lovers is that she uses words that if most of us use them, I think that, like, you know, native speakers of English and, like, they would sound ridiculous, like flower. There's a lot of flower and valley and delta. But... (laughs) The way it's written is, like, amazing um, because it works for that character. Yeah. You know, it doesn't sound... She's not making fun of anyone by using flower. Right. But I really would be hard... Like, I don't think I could really use flower unless it was someone, like, you know, teasing someone with a flower. Like, <laughs> I don't think I would use flower as, as a euphemism, but in that story, in that novel, it, it works because it's not really a euphemism. It's her learning about sex through right. these kinds of words. So, you know, I, I I hesitate to say, like, don't ever do this or do this. And, you know, when I teach people, I, I don't have a lot of hard and fast rules. I mean, you don't even need to have sex in your erotica story to make it erotic. One of the very first erotica stories I wrote was called Laugh Dance Lust, and it's about a laugh dance. And nice. what makes it erotic is the interaction between the person getting a lap dance and the person giving it and the fact that, you know, people are watching them and there's, like, this broader context going on. Yeah, that's hot. But, you know, I think that actually that's a fallacy that sometimes people think, oh, I'll write a sex scene and that makes it erotica. That might just be a sex scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it may or may not be a sexy one. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think about books that I love that have... That, that are that are not uh, in the erotica genre, that are uh, novels, that have explicit sex scenes. I mean, you know, like, uh, just as explicit as a lot of the erotica that I've read. No, no panning to the fireplace, you know. And uh, uh, it makes me think a little bit about, um, you know, the difference between a novel with an explicit sex scene versus erotica. I mean, I guess it's just really a matter of genre. It's just really a matter of... Uh, because a, a, something in the erotica genre can be just as literary as any novel yes. that you find at a bookstore. I mean, I definitely agree. I think that it's sort of what is the purpose of that sex scene right? in the broader context of the novel versus in an erotic novel, that sex scene is maybe a more integral part of the larger plot, whereas in the novel it might, you know, they're going to serve maybe a different purpose or be read a different way. I think it goes back to what you were saying before when we were talking about video porn, that it, it, a lot of it has to do with the intention, like, is the intention of the sex scene to, is, is the function of the story to arouse the reader? Um, and you can use literary conventions like we were talking about of character and story and, and emotion, um, but the point of an erotica genre story or book is to arouse the reader. And, I mean, I will say that this is also maybe a stereotype, but 
I think that something that you have more room to do in written erotica is to tease the reader. Like, I think that mm, in general, in visual porn, when you're getting to the sex scene, you're kind of getting to it fairly quickly. Now, maybe the sex scene goes on for a while. Yeah. But um, you, I think that there's a lot to be said in erotica, for written erotica, for drawing out the revelation or of, you know, like building up to that sex scene so that readers are really invested in the character when they do finally get, you know, whatever it is they want. I mean, my lap dance story, it's not like it starts out with the lap dance. It starts out with, okay, she's at the strip club and she's nervous and is she going to get one? Isn't, you know, like you're, you're finding out why it's important to her so that when she does get it, there's this, you've built up that tension there. Yeah. And I mean, that doesn't mean, I mean, you can start out with a sex scene in erotica, but I think that with written porn, erotica, whatever, I mean, I want to know as much about the character's motivations as possible. And I think that in visual porn, you don't necessarily need that, like, to appreciate it. And I don't necessarily think most people watching it are looking for that same thing. Right. And I'm sure there's people who read erotica who, you know, I mean, I've I've edited a couple of books of very short stories, like 1,200 words or less. Now, some people hate it. They're like, these are too short. I just got into it, and then the story's over. Or they're, they just, or someone just posted a review of the Big Book of Orgasms on Amazon and said, these are weird. And I was like, if, they didn't really say much more. They just said, these are weird stories. And I was like, what does that mean, weird? That like, sounds great. Are they, are they <laughs> unusual like fetishes? About- like, there's one that I love called Remote Control by Logan Zachary, where... This couple, this male female couple, have this remote control that can change their hair color, it can change the weather, it can change their gender, and so like they Amazing. swap genders. And yeah, so maybe it's quote unquote weird, but it's awesome. I'm yeah. like, oh my god, if I had that, like, how cool would that be to just have this remote control that like let you change, lets you change like whatever you want. Sweet. Uh, so yes, like maybe they're weird, <laughs> but um. But, like, you, in those stories all have 1,200 words or less. You do not have a lot of room to go on and on about, you know, your character's motivation in 1,200 words or less. No. So it's a real challenge to the writer and to the reader to catch up on what's happening right away. And some people like that, and some people hate it. Um, and to the, the people who don't like it, I'm not, like, trying to force you to read really short stories. Some people want the more drawn-out, complex... Um, story, and that's I think why we've seen like this boom in erotic novels. I mean, there's a lot of erotic novels out there, and there's ones for like so many different tastes. You yeah. know, it's not like it's all one. I mean, I think the same thing happens when we talk about porn. People think it's all one thing. I'm like, it's not one thing. It's like yeah, a people, million things. Yeah, people do not. People don't know. People say, "Oh, porn." It's all it, no. Or like they think, "Oh, like you watch porn, so you're like." The, I mean, like. You know, if you just look at, like, the AVN uh, award categories, they're, they're yeah. so... Di- and that's just, like, one example. But there's just... They're so diverse that there's just so many different things. And I think yeah. that there's some people who are really into specific subgenres of porn and erotica. I mean, there's erotica blogs just about menage, like, threesome stories. And some... I think some of them are about, like, specifically, like, male, male, female, or whatever sure, it is. I'm, I mean, I'm sure. And so, to me, A, that says that that person really likes to read that subgenre, and that there's enough books being published about that topic yeah. that contain those scenarios that they can have a whole blog about it. And I think that's awesome. Do you think that an erotica uh, story needs to be well-written 
in order to be hot? I know well-written mm. is subjective. That is a really but. interesting question. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that to sort of answer, like, the opposite way, if there's typos or if there's things that yeah. I don't understand and I'm reading and I'm like, what is that word or what is this, ha- what's happening? You I mean, it, even tenses. if I'm into it, it will pull me out of it. Yeah, so same. to some degree, yes, I think you have to have some sort of flow to it. Yeah. But you know, I'll be the first to say that I, even though, like, I teach erotica, I consult on people's erotica writing, I mean, there's no perfect uh, piece of writing. It's all subjective. So, you know, my take on something is going to be different than someone else's take on it. Um, I mean, I, I think there's some aspects of grammar. Usually the things that I'm advising people on are about building the world of the character and, like, yeah giving us more insight into that character to make the whole story more arousing to the reader. Like, but, um, you know, I'm sure there's some people who maybe just want like a sex scene or like a snippet. I mean, that's not really, I I think I'm looking at erotica as a story, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's a really short story as a story with a beginning, middle and end that to me speaks to me, throughout all of those, you know, it's not just about the sex scene. Cause I mean, I can say that as an erotica editor who's, you know, edited hundreds of stories, if it was just about a sex scene, like I would be bored with it by now. Of course. You know, I mean, I, I think that it's, you have to think about like what's, what's motivating the people in it. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, well-written is subjective or, or you know, different people are going to gravitate towards, different things. And I mean, I, I know we haven't said these words yet, but 50 shades of gray. I think that no one would ever say this is the best technically written novel ever. I don't even think E.L. James thinks that it's this masterpiece in terms of the writing, but I think that I hope not. Most, I hope that she doesn't even that. hardcore fans. I, I don't think that they necessarily think that either, but they still, or into the story, because there was something in the core of that story that they tapped into. So I think that if we're talking about what can be popular, like, I I think that, and I mean, when I say, like, hardcore fans, because I went to this luncheon uh, on Long Island where E.L. James spoke, and this is, like, I think this is 2013 or uh, maybe it was 2012. It was before the movie casting. But people were debating really minute aspects of the book, like, you know, is so-and-so going to play the whoever and are they going to have the right look? I mean, people really, like, have analyzed, fans have analyzed every aspect of it. And I don't think it's because they're saying this is, it's the writing, it's the story. So I think that if it's you a, can convey your story um, in a way that's going to captivate readers, you can do well in erotica. What do you think of the trailers, the Fifty Shades trailers? I actually think, like, they've somehow managed to make the story look less interesting it's than interesting. it did it's on the page. Like, I, I mean, maybe it's because I already know kind of the basic plot, but I just... Have you read it? I read the first one, and yeah. I've read parts of the other two. I just think, I don't know, I'm I'm super curious to see how the movie's going to do. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm sure that they're thinking it's going to do a lot of business, you know, and I don't know, like, who's going to be going to it, like... I mean, obviously a lot of women are going to be going to it, but is it going to be this Valentine's date movie? Yeah, I wonder... 
I wonder that too. I, mean, I wonder if they're going to take the story and uh, give it uh, and just and make it a better movie than it is a book or if they maybe suspect that part of the appeal of the book is that the prose is so um, poor that there's just it's it's just the dialogue just the story just the uh, yeah I, 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 I don't no know idea. I mean I have knows. no idea how it's gonna how it's gonna play out but I think that it has tapped into something that I mean I think had to have been percolating in the culture this interest in BDSM and I think I mean I don't think the I mean yes the books have become this worldwide best-selling sensation but I think that the people who and and there are plenty of people who have explored aspects of BDSM or or opened their minds to that that maybe didn't know about it before or didn't have the permission I mean I think the fact that we're talking about BDSM on like every major news show and newspaper and I think Obama was asked about like whether he'd read Fifty Shades I mean it's like it's like a cultural touchstone like you have to at least have heard of it like if i mean and i'll just be wherever like at a random starbucks drinking my coffee and i'm not reading anything about erotica this happened like recently i and i was just talking to some guy and we were not talking about erotica i didn't say i write erotica because i don't usually just blurt that out to strangers because it's you know i don't really write on yeah uh and I said, oh, I like to read. And he was like, oh, like, he mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, it's that popular, you know. Um, Definitely. And I think the fact that you can get it at a lot of libraries, most libraries have it. I mean, I I think that that is a sign of progress in the sense of people, I think it broke a wall in terms of publishers and the public realizing, like, this is something that, a lot of people want to read. It's not just the small minority of people who want to read it. Yes. I have so many opinions that I can just can't, yes. I don't even know how to start unpacking them. Um, but, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I mean, uh, talking about erotica, it's, it's very, I mean, you're right. It's a, it's a almost unprecedented phenomenon of, uh, a book in that genre uh, becoming so successful and so well known, and becoming its own franchise. And I think that it's like Harry with Potter. the with with the um, t- you know, um, the I don't know what what I'm trying to say. The alongside that is that women are buying it. Like you don't ever hear about right. only men buying. Like I mean, I think that the story of Fifty Shades is the success of it is women reading these books and and you know to me that's the more interesting story to me than just like the actual plot of the books the fact that so many women have been so open about wanting to read whether these specific books or these kinds of books and I think that for a lot of them this was just the first one that was accessible like easily accessible and okay to read in public or okay to be seen buying at your local bookstore I mean I and I'm I'm actually shocked that I I do go to bookstores and usually like an indie bookstore and sometimes they don't even have 50 shades never mind that they don't have really any erotica and to me that's a real lost opportunity and it's kind of sad I mean this happened to me 
and it, otherwise very cool bookstore. And I literally said, like, do you have any erotica? And they had the story of O, which has been re-released. Um, that was the only book of erotica that they had. And wow. this is in 2014. And I just thought that was really interesting. Like, I yeah. think then you're making a conscious choice not to have Fifty Shades and not to have anything close to Fifty Shades. You're sort of saying, okay, well our readers are into other things. And I think that's a mistake. I think that maybe by now everyone's read 50 shades. That's going to, I mean, I'm sure it's still selling like crazy, but you know, I just think that that now that if, if you don't stock it and, or any other erotica, really that's saying something about your readership. And I think that that's not, that is not how I would run a general bookstore, not just because I obviously am an erotica writer, but I think that, even if I was in a small town, I, I, I think that there were plenty of people who, who read erotica. And a lot of those are, I mean, some I think are new readers, but I think a lot of those are people who've read, been reading romance. I mean, women start reading romance like I started when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a very strong community of writers. Yeah. And readers. It I mean, I mean, people and, and, and critiquers like even and I and I think that we missed that, too. Uh, I was talking about like those review blogs. I mean, people online, like blogger reviewers, but also just reviewers on Goodreads and other sites, um, they have very strong opinions. Like if they don't like your characters or some, even one small aspect of this thing that your character did, they will share it. (laughs) Be very vocal. And I think that we're living in this time when they, those people have not an equal say. I mean, obviously the writer has the say of whatever they want, but those people have a voice that's powerful. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing, you know, in general, you know, obviously no one wants to be the recipient of a bad review, but I mean, like, if you want to say that my book is weird, like, okay, first of (laughs) all, I think that's hilarious, but you know, and I I think it always says more about the person, you know, I think there's constructive valid criticism and then there's, there's a, um, age play story in, a book I edited called Spanked, one of my favorite stories. And I, th- I think I really like it because it is, you know, it is about something that I don't get as many submissions about this daddy girl age play, but it's also treated in the story. Like you, you, you know that it's age play yeah, if yeah. you're reading it closely. But this reviewer was like, this story has an incest, this book has an incest story. And, and like it, it misinterpreted yeah. the point of the story. I'm not saying you can't like it, but the review was just wrong. Yeah. And yes, that's frustrating. I would hope that anyone reading that would say, okay, what is this person really saying? And they're really saying like they're uncomfortable with that kind of story, which is fine. Like there's 19 or whatever other stories in the book, you know? Exactly. Um, well, I hope that there are lots of people in the world, even a fraction of the people who have read or uh, bought Fifty Shades will then go find some anthology that you have uh, edited uh, and contributed to, like your best bondage erotica anthologies or your spanking anthologies, and and and, and find more diversity and more perspectives and um, uh, maybe also learn, not that it has to be educational per se, but learn different ways that uh, sadomasochism and domination and submission and the context of fantasies can be sexy and can occur. I mean, I do want to say that, and I 
really only learned this by seeing blog posts by some of my authors, but Fifty Shades did encourage a huge amount of authors to try writing erotica for the first time. And for that, if if only that reason alone, I think that's amazing and wonderful. And um, I have a book out called The Big Book of Submission, which is 69 BDSM stories. And a lot, uh, some of the writers in there did start writing for the first time in 2012 after 50 shades came out inspired by it and now whether they had wanted to or thought about it before like for whatever reason this that book gave them the courage to say like i could try this i can do this i have something that might be worthy of being published about this topic and i think it opened up space for a lot of other authors to both try it and to you know think about bdsm as something to write about. Amazing. Well, Rachel, um, I, uh, I'm so glad, uh, to talk to you about erotica. Um, and I'm so excited for your book. It's called sex and cupcakes and it's totally available now. Um, and you can buy it on your Kindle and then go on a walk and read it while you're walking. (laughs) As you were saying, you do sometimes with other people's books. Um, and, uh, you it you've Rachel Kramer dot com yes. correct is has all of your um all of the books that you've ever created um on there and more about you and uh and then and your uh what is your Twitter handle? Raquelita R A Q U E L I T A. Great. And anything else that you wanna I plug or promote? I'm teaching an online erotica writing class. It's a month long class at litreactor.com. The information is on my website and it starts just in time for Valentine's Day, cool. February twelfth. And I'm also teaching two writing workshops, one on nonfiction like in Sex and Cupcakes, and one on erotica at Catalyst Con in March in Arlington, Virginia. Amazing. Um, well, you are clearly not slowing down. <laughs> And I'm really happy about that. Unless Um, it's in a massage chair. Oh, yeah. (laughs) With a cupcake. What is... Do you have a favorite kind of cupcake? Uh, Well, there is one. uh, I I mean, this is not like my... I mean, I have a couple favorites. I really like s'mores. Like, I like gooey marshmallow. And I like chocolate peanut butter. And really any combination chocolate peanut butter. And I like chocolate mint. Those are generally my three Anything that Classic. involves any, not, not all of those together. I think like marshmallow, mint, peanut butter, that would be too much, but separately, <laughs> s'mores, chocolate, peanut butter, mint, chocolate. What's the craziest cupcake you've ever had? I ate a grasshopper on a cupcake and Whoa. it was also baked in. It was like on top and not it was, like grasshopper, it was, like mint and chocolate. Oh, no, no, no. no I mean like, like the animal grasshopper. Uh, it was judging a cupcake contest. But, and, you know, we could see it on top, and I was like, okay, everyone else is doing it. I'll go for it. But then, like, you're eating the cake, and like it was crispy. crunchy. Ah! It was weird. It was really weird. I had to sort of just not think about it and, like, swallow, and I, I would not consciously eat that again. Uh, but you, no no one can say you haven't done that. But, <laughs> I, I, and I would eat a crazy cupcake again, just not probably that one. <laughs> Is there an erotica story that you've never seen that you would love to see? 
That is a really good question. I, I can't, like, I don't think like that. I don't think, like, oh, what I would want to see. Yeah. I, I usually think of, I just, like, I love the process, and I will be putting out new calls for erotica very soon, so check my website or on get on my website. newsletter. Okay, cool. Um, I just love, like, saying, okay, I'm going to edit a book about X topic, and then someone writes something, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> and uh, I'm still finalizing everything, but I have a book of sex toy erotica called Come Again coming out in March, and... There are some stories in there that I went, wow, I thought I knew a lot about sex toys, but this is amazing. That's so great. Well, you, so you, you still have the capacity to be surprised. Yes. That's, that's encouraging. Yes. That's why I love, like, being an editor is kind of like being a voyeur. You're like, totally. you're just, like, getting this insight into people's minds, and that is just so fascinating to me. Because cool. there's just, there's, there's always more crazy possibilities out there in terms of what people's imaginations are going to come up with well on that note thank you so much and uh, i'll see you again soon thank you thanks for tuning in to episode 26 follow at tina horns ass and at into that podcast on twitter subscribe and write us a review on itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and visit wirepeopleintothat.com to subscribe to our newsletter and listen to all 25 previous episodes including the one about squirting and the one about high heels and the one about age play and the one about chastity and the one about magic if you were to look up anal sex education in the dictionary, you would be bound to find the name of next month's guest, Tristan Taramino. This is a butt plug. It's made of silicone, you know, top quality material. It's designed to go in your butt and stay there. Yeah. They're like, yes, but does it dance? So is there, well, so will it Will it remember my name? <laughs> Will it give me 18 vibration Will patterns? Will it remind me to call my mom? Is there a Bluetooth connection? <laughs> it, does it glow in the dark? You know, it's like, and it's none of that. No, it's not going to do How anything. How many MP3s? It's going to go in your ass and stay there. And yeah. that is like the beauty and amazing thing about it's it. It's kind of analog, isn't it? <laughs> it sort of is. But in the best way. Oh, in the yeah. way that like oh, this yeah. does not need to be smarter than it is. It's yeah. just what it is. Yeah. As ever, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by Tina Horn. Our theme song is by Pine. Our website was designed by Justin Levesque. And we are exclusively sponsored by Smitten Kitten. Until next time, I'll be reviving the hardcore Quantum Leap X-Files crossover fanfiction I wrote in the 90s to perhaps make my millions if I can just find that old floppy drive. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.